Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 587. That's what it says in my piece of paper. I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger. I'm Gavin Ashenden. It's the 27th of March, 2020. All right, welcome to another program of Anglican Unscripted. We, uh, during this program, cover a lot of topics, mostly uh, related to religion and Christianity and Anglicanism. Uh, we also cover what's going on in the news. And if you have not been locked in a cave or on a deserted island or on some survivalist adventure somewhere, you know what's in the news. In the news is the COVID virus, and we'll certainly be talking about that today and how it relates to the church and some of the uh, the theology behind what we're seeing. And uh, as a layperson, some of it's driving me crazy. Let's move on to your responsibility as a faithful viewer of the show, and that's to help promote us. We are always on YouTube and Facebook with a link. We also show up on anglican.inc as a, uh, a post. Anytime you see this program and you, you haven't liked it yet, like it, because it initiates an algorithm at YouTube and an algorithm at Facebook that says people like this show, we're going to promote it to people like you. And believe it or not, if you're a Christian or you're an Anglican, Facebook knows, Google knows. I mean, they, they understand who you are, what you like, and the type of entertainment you like. And if you like Anglican Unscripted, they'll continue to feed you more programs like this. So like us. That's the short way of saying it. Also, if you have not subscribed yet, you need to subscribe because we're giving out more and more information. We're doing, trying to do two programs a week regularly. And you do that by going to YouTube. There's a red box. It says subscribe. You click it. Boom. There's a, there's, there's a bell that pops up. Click the bell. And supposedly you will be instantly notified when there's a new episode of Anakin Unscripted. You need to share us. Uh, this audience is growing all the time, and there's a lot of information here that people need to know. If you could please uh, copy that hyperlink and send it to people in your church, leadership or laity alike, we have information that we think is valuable and will help uh, them understand the news that's going around around the world. Comments. This show lives in the comment section. After I press stop and I upload the program, I can't wait for you guys to, to watch and tell us what you think and give us your ideas and your thoughts and um, what you feel on these topics. That's where this all lives. And we really appreciate that last, you know, the last two or three episodes, we've had 200 comments. Wow. That's amazing. I, I, I just, I'm, well, I'm dumbfounded, but Kevin, you're always dumbfounded. You're okay. Well, I'm even more dumbfounded when I see that 200 people are commenting and we really appreciate that best comment of the week. Kevin, stop touching your face. Okay, I'm a, I'm a face toucher. I admit it. You know, for some reason, especially when I got this nice beard growing out here, I touch myself. And in this type of environment, I should not be touching myself. All right, let's talk about the big news. Then we'll get uh, Gavin and George to, to break in here. Biggest news I see today is uh, Boris Johnson and uh, the uh, health secretary Hancock have been tested positive for COVID-19. They say their symptoms aren't bad and they're going to uh, intend to continue to lead the UK in this crisis. Let's, uh, let's 
let's talk about having leadership now infected. What, what's going on there, Gavin? Well, this is breaking news. It's only happened in the last hour. You're right. Um, but I think the immediate um, resonances of this are the fear, of course, that the people responsible for governing and making serious decisions might be disabled by the illness or even killed. Johnson's nearly 60. The average age of people in uh, uh, in uh, intensive care units is 62, I'm told. Um, and then, of course, Prince Charles has it. So there is at least the theoretical prospect of the government and the monarchy being wiped out by the plague. Um, but but I think one of the reasons why I don't uh, feel over anxious about it, I'm very sorry for it if they if they have the symptoms, uh, is that there are there are two theories. Um, not that we're epidemiologists, but two theories of of what's going on at the moment. The one that's popular in driving the government is a paper released by Imperial College London, which suggests that the uh, the sheer scale of this is going to be absolutely enormous. But there's another one that's come out in the last few days, published at the University of Oxford, that says that half the country already has coronavirus, uh, and, and a good deal of people have no symptoms at all, but they've had the virus and therefore herd immunity, uh, and that the mortality rate is... The real mortality rate is about 0.5, which is what some of the, the countries appear to be showing. And also the um, the experiment of the, the, the liner, uh, the something princess. Um, so if, if that's the case, then it raises enormous issues about whether the economy should be crashed for this purpose. And of course, um, the things I hope we're going to talk about ourselves later on is whether you suspend the Holy Eucharist, close down physical churches, and effectively suppress Christianity better than any communist regime has ever managed in the history of, of civilization. So the, the, the way the, the Oxford imperial issue is an important one to work out. And I, you know, quite soon we'll know when testing starts, which is true. But at the moment, we don't know. Well, Gavin, I think you should be relieved on one level. It was announced this week that uh, Harry and Meghan have moved from Canada to Los Angeles. <laughs> So that if the monarchy is wiped out, you do have Harry and Meghan safe and sound in Bel Air. So. Knowing knowing that we have Queen Meghan available to us to lead us into the future, will will do something to to the psyche of most monarchists I know that is undescribable. Okay, so my rector is Brian Murphy. Brian Murphy does uh, several uh, morning prayers a week, couple evening prayers a week on Facebook Live. Brian Murphy wants to know where all these people are coming from. Why in a church of 100 people do I have 600 people watching my live stream? And here's the big news. Church worship or church online attendance is way up. Church attendance in its physical form is non-existent. Um, this is a, a strange time for the church. You alluded to the Eucharist. Um, I've seen a couple of services where they're doing the Eucharist, which is two or three people at the altar. I've heard uh, Giles Fraser say he does Eucharist alone and it's a new experience for him. Let's talk about, as long as the church is shut down in its physical sense, how do we conduct the Eucharist and what's how valuable is it that we conduct it rightly? George, why don't you start us off? 
Well, what we're seeing uh, is uh, in my particular denomination, uh, the Episcopal Church, and I'm sure in the Anglican Church in North America, we have all been given by our local uh, bishops and uh, associations information how to live stream. Kevin has been running a very popular series on Anglican TV ministries of how to Facebook live your services. And it's raising some uh, issues. The National Church in New York sent out a letter saying, we don't know how to record attendance via uh, Facebook Live. Um, and, but just make notes of the numbers, and then we'll basically have to figure out after the fact, how do we record this? Because, well, for instance, the Church of England, uh, Justin Welby, uh, did a, a pre-recorded service that was released on Sunday morning that went over the BBC and various other media outlets, and it had uh, several mi in the mi millions of viewers. Well, the average Sunday attendance of the Church of England, Gavin, is it's like a million, million and a half, or well, whatever it is. Oh, I'd say the it's four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, this was ten times the normal Sunday attendance. But was it really Sunday attendance? So, from a statistical and church uh, administrative question, we're asking, how do we record this? And then the second question is, is this entertainment or is this worship? Um, and we've had a variety of responses. Gavin, uh, Kevin mentioned uh, Giles Frazier, who's a very uh, influential uh, priest in the Church of England who appears on Thought for a Day and writes uh, op-ed pieces for The Guardian. And on his blog, he wrote about the experience of celebrating the Eucharist by himself. And what a wonderful thing this was and how it really focused his mind and the people watching at home were part of his congregation and how wonderful this was. Well, another very prominent English uh, priest, churchman, is a man named Ian Paul, who we've mentioned in the past. And though not commenting directly on Giles Frazier, said that, well, this may be a Eucharist. It's certainly not an Anglican Eucharist because the Anglican prayer book, its whole self-understanding is that this is a communitarian uh, enterprise. And by this, we do not mean by internet or detached that you have to be present. And in fact, canon law in the Church of England states you have to have three people present. Episcopal Church canon law says you have to have two people present. Hence, I don't do, I did morning prayer on Sunday because I wasn't going to trot out my wife or, or bring one of the deacons over to participate in such a service. So the question, and and so actually from an Anglican perspective, which views this as a communitarian enterprise, to a Catholic uh, perspective, which has, I won't try to characterize that, but other than to say the end result of the, if you will, spiritual or uh, Eucharist versus, well, they're both spiritual. How should, well, Gavin, I'll let you describe <laughs> yeah. it. But the difference between the Anglican and the Catholic is that in the end, though they disagree profoundly on what is actually happening, how it's happening, when it's happening, and where it's happening, they both see it as not something that you can put on TV and have a degree of efficacy. Now, I'm, um... Gavin, I want you to speak to this because uh, Rome is shut down, the Vatican is shut down, and... In my understanding of Roman uh, theology, that's kind of the, the where this all comes from. It's a, a leadership down in the Eucharist. 
I'd like to begin with a footnote. I had a wonderful picture of Anglican Unscripted as a tennis match just now. Ah. And, and Kev, Kevin is sitting in the umpire's chair and George and I are on court. And, and Kevin sometimes throws us a ball. And sometimes the ball's a soft ball. And George and I pat the soft balls one. And sometimes it's a hard ball. And, and sometimes it's a hand grenade. <laughs> we, we were talking before the show about how we managed the hand grenades and, and, uh, um, and how comfortable we were with them, even though some of our audience uh, is less comfortable. And here we have a hand grenade. <laughs> so, so thank you, Kevin, for throwing it in. Um, we, were, we were talking also in the pre-show, if, if you don't mind my alluding to it no, for a moment, for it, about, yeah. uh, about our different theologies of the Eucharist and the Mass. And... Um, and about the fact that Giles Fraser, as George quite rightly said, is breaking canon law by celebrating by himself. And it's astonishing he doesn't know that. <laughs> um, and there is, of course, something imitative and derivative in Anglicanism. It, it is as if, you know, it, it takes all its theology and liturgy and structure from Catholicism, but, but then changes it in the light of, I would say, enlightenment principles. And many of the things we just think are theological differences between us are actually philosophical differences. One of the things that softened me up for my, my, my move that I made recently, I remember was when I was a priest in the 1980s and I'd been involved in some deliverance ministry in South London. It was really quite disturbing and, and very worrying. And, and, and we'd had an encounter with evil that, that left me seriously shaken. And I remember going home thinking, I now need to find the most powerful way of praying I can find to deal with this disturbance. And I thought, I know, I'll celebrate the Eucharist. That's what I'll do. But but even then, unlike Giles Frazier, I knew that the the rules said you couldn't. And I decided I'd break the rules because, not not because I'm entirely a situation ethicist, but sometimes you just need to rank your values and go for it. And I thought the spiritual situation required Jesus to be present in the most tactile and tangible way possible. And so Kevin's exactly right. When it comes to the churches closing their doors or refusing to allow uh, services to take place, um, I think in Anglicanism, it, it, it could cause and will cause, is causing a great deal of sociological trouble. One of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, will they ever come back to the Church of England after the Church of England has locked their doors against its people? I hope we'll mull that over a bit. But in Catholic terms, it's quite impossible to even consider stopping the Mass. And I'm really quite disappointed um, that so many senior Catholic voices have seemed to find the government's pressure in this regard acceptable. N not that the Church should be irresponsible or, um, uh, or, or put too much faith in the miraculous before God's given it. Of course, whatever you do, you have, you engage with all hygiene rules, all personal space rules. Of course you do. But the idea that you should close the church to the celebration of the, of the mass and that no one can get in strikes me as being so profoundly anti-Christian as to have, as to, it ought to raise questions about its spiritual provenance as, as, a, as, a, as a thing in itself. So whatever our theologies of the Eucharist, whether they're sociological or miraculous, what's happening to the church at the moment is uh, is a, a, a very serious confrontation and undermining of what it stands for at its heart. Gavin, sometimes I, I, I agree with the vast majority of things that you say, but sometimes I think you bring in the convert zeal into the uh, 
into the discussion. And in other words, characterizing uh, the Anglican way as being a product of the Enlightenment or being or materialist understanding. Well, those are contentious views that I don't really agree with, and we're not going to resolve that right here. But I, I think for those of you, for those of our viewers who may not have a sort of deeper understanding of what a, I'll say, an Articles Anglican, because you have all sorts of varieties of Anglicans who believe any any sorts of thing. The the Articles Anglican, the traditional central worldview of the Anglican world does not see the elements changing. In other words, we don't have the, the, the uh, sense of the, uh, we don't have the transubstantiation. But what we have is that we see the recipient changing of being part of that community where the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper is being celebrated. I'm now going to say that the Roman Catholic worldview sees the elements changing of the accidents, the externals remain the same, but the internals, it turns into the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. And some viewers have said, well, uh, how then uh, can, you know, does this mean that you cannot get sick from that? Well, the Borgias managed to poison a great many people by putting poison in the communion cup. Does that mean it wasn't real? No, because the externals, uh, haven't changed. It's the internals the, the, uh, that we cannot recognize. So the poison is not part of the transubstantiation or anything like that. But I think from an Anglican worldview, you, you, we, what I see someone like Giles Fraser doing, and we're seeing a number of Methodist bishops, for instance, the Bishop of Atlanta area, North Georgia, in the Methodist Church, and the Methodists have as wide a swing as the Episcopalians do on what they think is happening, is saying it's perfectly fine to have online Eucharists. Well, for this traditional Anglican, that's just aping Catholicism in its externals without practicing its internal theology. So there's, in my view, there's a lack of integrity. See, the reason why Gavin and I can disagree profoundly on many things and respect each other and enjoy our company is because we respect the integrity of the other. And so that we, and so that's why I, I've always gotten on great with Gene Robinson. Uh, he's a splendid fellow because he has an integrity of his beliefs and values. I think he's profoundly mistaken, just about everything. But he lives a life of integrity in speaking and living, being faithful to what he believes. And it's when you have this sort of aping of other traditions, whether it's an Anglican celebrating by himself, pretending to be uh, a Catholic priest uh, doing his obligation of daily mass and not understanding that, but just going through the externals and sort of dressing up to be the part, you're a fraud. Um, and, and this is what's remarkable about Anglican scripted you, is... You, not Gavin, is no, the no. fraud. Yeah, I know. But what's remarkable about Anglican scripted is there's nothing wrong with the tension because we're brothers in Christ. You know, uh, we respect each other tremendously. Uh, sometimes watching the tension is like watching, remember Crossfire on CNN in the 1980s, you know, where they just, you know, point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. We're not doing that. We do this to let you know just the realm of what people are thinking and the theology of the Roman Catholic Church and the theology of the Anglican Communion and just how this is working its way out. But we're not, this is not, 
Roman Catholic cro uh, crossfire. This, that's not what the program is, but I want us to express the tension where the tension is. There's nothing wrong with that. If I can reply to, to some of some, thank Kevin, that was very good. Thank you, George. Mm -hmm. I, 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 apart from feeling slightly uncomfortable with with exercising the same a, a place that's parallel to Gene Robinson in your affections, but but leaving that to one side, um, doesn't mean I, I, I seek out his uh, company. <laughs> <together>. <laughs> We're well, not comparing well, Gavin to Gene Robinson. Pleasant, <laughs> polite, and uh, respect another person without agreeing with them. I, I just got, I just got edgy for a moment, unnecessarily so. Um, but but I, I don't think I own the uh, the convert zeal that that you you sweetly. Uh, um, a tribute to me. Uh, if I have any zeal at all, it's a bit of a, it's it's the relief of having thought and prayed for forty five years, and been able to to uh, not come out. Not brings me near Gene Robinson again, doesn't it? And being able to talk about it without without restraint. I, I always suspected that, that that the Eucharist ought to be what the Catholics said it was, and of course wasn't allowed to think that because of my Enlightenment worldview. I was brought up in in, in Western uh, uh, pra pragmatic culture, but I, I don't think that the Catholic view um, of transubstantiation is is one that commends itself to me. Actually, in that sense, I, I think that transubstantiation is is as much a function of Aristotle uh, as as um, uh, as Anglican theology is of Erasmus. Um, neither are adequate. What I'm interested in, I think, is the, the first thousand years of the church with a particular concern for the first 300 where it was most pure. And then when I look at what's happened to the Eucharistic miracles and see that it actually turns both spiritually and physically into the body of Christ, I go, my goodness, uh, Aquinas didn't get it right at all, and nor did Aristotle. But Jesus did. This is my body. This is my blood. Leave it. So, so there we have we have the difficulty of doing theology when it's filtered through the through a a, a worldview that influences all of us. Of course, um, I agree with you that the most important thing in our conversation is not to be fraudulent and to be true to one's one's presuppositions. I think one of the things that I, I feel quite strongly is that the Orthodox have got it right, and there's no one here representing the Orthodox. It, when they come to, to set out theological presuppositions by which to govern all their views, they go as far back as possible. They, they, they go back not to Erasmus, they go back not to, not to Aquinas, but they go back to the Apostles and, and the first few centuries of the Church. And I think if you look at the first few centuries, if if the early church was told by 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 Nero or some emperor, we're going to close, we're going to stop you doing what you are doing in public, they would have gone straight to the catacombs, and that's where they went. So my argument for the moment, in terms of resisting the government saying you can't celebrate the Eucharist, is guys, back to the catacombs. We're celebrating the body and blood of Jesus. We're going to unleash Jesus into time and space through our prayers and this wonderful miracle, and no government is going to stop us. There's, a, there's a, a romanticism there that I find quite exciting and commendable. But the reality is the Russian Orthodox Church and the Greek Orthodox Church are acting the same way as the Catholic Church and the Church of England are. How it's playing itself out, yes, there are prominent people who are grumbling. In the Catholic world, I think Cardinal Burke uh, has uh, posted something on his blog saying, this is the worst 
the worst of all worlds because it's bad science and bad theology. We need to continue celebrating the Eucharist, but we need to do it in a way that's hygienic and not a, a vector, for, uh, a venue for contagion. So, but at the same time, we uh, I, I, maybe it's because the worldview I bring to this isn't isn't a European one; it's an American one, uh, which is a very different worldview from Gavin's. Mm -hmm. And so, I have no real. Uh, to be frank, the institutions of the institutions. Earlier in the show, Kevin said we're in danger of the government being wiped out by the coronavirus. I don't know if that's a bad thing or yeah. not. <laughs> well, okay, well, look, we talked about the bad. Churches around the world are closed. Ironically, in Sweden, they're keeping everything open. <laughs> Nobody goes to church anyway. I can say ironically, <laughs> in Sweden, <laughs> no churches are open anyway. Um I wanted to, we, we talked about the bad, let's talk about the good. The good is people are engaging online. Yes, there's no Eucharist, but I read a report this morning that conversions um, online are are going through the roof. Fox News are, had a are report. These from, are these from Microsoft to? Uh, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> Microsoft to Apple, Apple, yes. Uh, what sort of conversions <laughs> are you speaking of, Kevin? Pe people coming to Christ online in the last 10 days, it, it, it's off the scales. And uh, Fox News did a report. BBC has a, a backed up report on that. And people are fight in their fear. It's a pan I don't know if it's, a, some I'm gonna say it's a reaction to the pandemic. I would say it's a reaction to seeing people live out their faith online um, and responding to that. But people are coming to Christ, even in this difficult circumstance. Well, Kevin, do you think there might be a 9-11 effect? Because uh, remember for like two weeks, we had packed churches. Mm -hmm. And it all went back to normal once the fear subsided. I think that's always, you know, we, we find that when there's a comet coming too close to the earth. We find that when uh, we have pandemics, we find that when we have the 9-11s or terrorist attacks, we find that when certain religions want to cross borders and they know that crossing borders and converting is easier than... Um, if, if I look at my attendance statistics, just as Bernie Sanders was peaking was when my church was packed. <laughs> so maybe there's an effect there. I don't know. However, I don't want to say that uh, these aren't real. You know, I, 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 we want to encourage them. We got a bit distracted in a way in our episode when we explored whether or not God was smiting. Uh, we, we needed, I'm sure we needed to have the conversation and it certainly helped clarify my own mind as I went on thinking about it, as I'm sure other people went on thinking about it too. But but in a way, it was a, uh, it was a cul-de-sac of a kind, because the more interesting question I think that we ought to ask ourselves is, what is God doing through this? Not, rather than what has God done, what, what is God doing? Uh, where I live at the moment, um, uh, the middle of a very beautiful valley on the Welsh borders, it, it's like Sabbath. It, every day is like the Sabbath day. There is this wonderful stillness and quietness. Nobody's moving, nobody's here. Normally we share this, this valley, it's a national park with thousands of people who walk down the bottom uh, into the hills. But, but there isn't anybody here. In fact, it was quite exciting yesterday. I went down on my bicycle to the gate and there was a police car with blue lights. It had come zooming up to talk to the ranger. And they said, where are they? And the ranger said, I'm sorry guys, I called you out for the wrong reason. The car I asked you to come and 
uh, visit and arrest turns out to be undercover police. It was an unmarked police car. <laughs> so in the valley, <laughs> which, in the valley, which had nobody in it, there was one marked police car with blue lights flashing, and one unmarked police car trying to catch people walking their dogs. Another issue about state control. But there's nobody here, and there is something very beautiful. There, there are no aeroplanes in the sky polluting it with their dreadful fumes. The, the, the canals of Venice are recovering their fish. It, it, what is God doing? It's almost as if he's reminding us what a Sabbath can be like now that capitalism and secularism have stolen Sundays from us and nobody knows what the arrest is. So people are being given the opportunity to, dis to discover a series of things. The fear of death, this is new because the fear of death is kept away from people and is replaced by euphemisms. The Holy Sabbath, uh, a gratitude for food. Um, and it could very well be that in this moment of of serious cultural and existential change, people are having the opportunity to think again about the possibility of faith. And if the church does its job, which is to go onto the airways to speak about Jesus, to love Jesus, to explain how Jesus transforms lives before and after death, I think that, that um, Kevin is right. There'll be a number of people who are ripe for hearing it. Uh, George is right too. These things go in cycles as people get more comfortable. They'll, they'll slip back into their self-defensive hedonism. But we do have an opportunity as, at the moment as Christians to speak out as clearly as we can about the reality of a faith that interprets life and death together with hope and with joy. Indeed. Can I just share? Sure. We, we live in such different worlds. Uh, to my north, Gainesville, and to my south, Orlando and Tampa have lockdowns. We don't. And during our pre-show, one golf ball from the golf course hit my screen. And right now, as I look out, I, I can see the 18th tee, and there are three foursomes backed up. The golf courses have never been more crowded. I went to the store this morning this, uh, and went down by the ocean. There are more boats in the ocean than there are cars in the streets. Mm -hmm. um, because we've only had one fatality in this county, an 80-year-old man who already had emphysema. Uh, not to dismiss any deaths, all deaths are uh, a shame, but we in the United States, 55% of the cases are in New York City, greater New York area. And then we have another hotspots on Seattle and in Los Angeles. And then uh, in Florida, we only have cases where, well, in our county, we have 11 cases, and seven of them are people who've come down from New York escaping New York. So it's the world hasn't stopped here. And in fact, it's picked up. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the interesting thing is uh, location, location, location. I live in Connecticut, where I'm 40 minutes north of New York City. If I take the train into Grand Central, it's an hour, maybe an hour and 10 minutes. And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deaths going on in New York City. Elmhurst Hospital is just inundated because it's uh, in an older region of Queens. Um, they're, they're the type of hospital that's going to run out of the ventilators, run out of the space, and have refrigerated morgues uh, delivered by semi-trailers. In Connecticut, just 40 minutes away, we have 29 deaths. You know, it's nothing in terms of what's going on around the world. We have a large population and a significant part of this population works in New York City. Uh, you go down to Greenwich, Fairfield, 
uh, Stratford, they hop on the train and go into Grand Central and work out of Manhattan. And for the most part, Connecticut is spared up to this point. New Jersey, right next to New York, is being decimated as well. You talked about California, Washington uh, State, are places where there's just these cluster outbreaks that uh, are due to population or some other circumstance we don't know about. I, I'm going to wait for somebody to publish the paper that tells me why Italy has a 10% tested death rate. That doesn't make any sense. They have 80,000 infected and 8,000 deaths. Where we have 80,000 uh, here in America, we don't have 8,000 deaths. We, we just crossed the 1,000 mark. So uh, there's going to be a lot of people getting their PhDs trying to figure out exactly what happened here. And that's just the nature of pandemics. We saw that with the Spanish flu. We saw that with the Black Death. Um, it just it doesn't happen by the numbers it's supposed to. These breakouts are so strange. Um, so I'm encouraged by the people who are going online. I'm encouraged because on, uh, every morning on my Facebook feed, I see all these priests who are friend of mine, friends of mine doing the morning prayer. Every evening before I go to bed, I see uh, uh, priests across, around the world doing their evening prayer. And they're doing it online and it's, it's building something new that I hope continues even after this. I do want the Eucharist to be at church, you know, and we go there for that, but I don't mind church finally reaching out in a different way, providing a, a different presence for this, you know, this busy world we're in. Uh, so I'm encouraged by that. So, you know. It's both and, isn't it? What's that? It, it, it's both and. It I mean, is both and. This is, this has given us the opportunity to, to reconsider the way in which we use the internet for evangelism and for worship. Um, but at the same time, um, however romantic it is, uh, I would say that, you know, the church is the church and, and no government has the right to stop people coming together in twos and threes in the name of Christ and doing what the church has always done, whether it's Bible study or the Eucharist or both. Well, I think televangelism of the 70s and 80s just gave that online presence, that feel, I, I don't want to do that, I'll be a televangelist yeah. again. You yeah. know, that's dirty. That's dirty Christianity. That's just, you know, that's, I don't want to do that. I, I'm afraid to do that because it's going to introduce power and wealth and other things that have caused these great figures of the 80s to fall. And I think there's, further, there's Kevin, a fear. It's not just the online thing. It, 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 it did that to all evangelism. All evangelism got tainted by yes. that. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine who, um, who taught my son Latin. He's a classicist. Sometimes he watches this show. He's an American classicist who taught at the public school. And he just sent me, just before we went on air, uh, a group of, of, um, of very zany, I suppose people would call them fundamentalists, using uh, quite aggressive religious language in a way that would be offensive to many people. And he said to me, look, look, Gavin, this is what I associate the word Christian with. Uh, and I think the problem is that that for a lot of people, evangelism was given such a bad name by people who misused it, as Kevin quite rightly said, for power and money, that many of the rest of us have, have become deeply embarrassed about even the possibility of telling people about Jesus. But as I look online and see what people are talking about, see this dreadful fear of death, this complete incompetence when it comes to bereavement, this this existential vacuum about what it is to be a human being. 
um, I, I, I did a homily just just uh, yesterday, I think, on the man born blind, and talked a bit about about how Jesus answers all the questions of the human need, um, and all the questions we're going through in society at the moment that this pandemic poses us, they are answered by Jesus, and and we should get over our embarrassment <laughs> that these wretched people caused us by association. Uh, and it looks like we are getting over it, which is great. All right. Uh, this is a good time to kind of close out the program. L okay. Last time. Yeah, go ahead. One, one thing, Gavin. Um, uh, Kevin. Mm -hmm. oh. That's all right. Hey. It's Friday. Oh, my. <laughs> Some exciting news for uh, people in the ministerial profession. Uh, senator Marco Rubio, our senator from Florida, gave a conference call with Florida clergy yesterday. Senator Rubio is on the committee that drafted this Senate bill that the House of Representatives are going to take up today about uh, relief, financial relief for businesses in the United States. One of the things Senator Rubio said was that churches will be, and not-for-profits, will be included in the bailout bill, meaning that a if a church can borrow two and a half months, 250% of its payroll, which is two and a half months, and in a year's time, it can either pay it back or if it shows that it did not discharge anybody but use the money to maintain salaries and payroll, it'll be forgiven. And in the Episcopal Church, the Church Pension Fund is basically saying we will pay up to two months pension assessments for your clergy. So there are being steps being taken. I can't speak to what ACNA may be doing. But there are steps being taken that will soften any blow that we'll see in financial uh, shortfalls in April and May by this March plague. As a capitalist, I've been all in favor of all this uh, money being borrowed and taken and given out. You know, it's going to cause an acute inflation uh, in, in three or four months, but uh, it, it's what the government's chosen to do. It's what the world has chosen to do uh, in dealing with this pandemic. And we'll have to see if it works or not. Um, I'm up in the air on it, but uh, but it, it, if you know, we may. See, uh, I do think we're going to see a shakeout of mm -hmm. uh, churches. That uh, I don't think many. I don't. I don't think some will recover from the uh, financial and uh, spiritual uh, crash that they've been facing. Many will attempt to go online, and you'll see your priests fumble on doing the morning prayer and set themselves on fire, as we saw in that wonderful <laughs> Facebook video of the priest in England in Plymouth. And unfortunately, we're now entering the world of competition, and there are very few people who do it very well, and they'll probably do wonderfully out of it. And the sort of muddled local priest who's trying for the first time, he may technically pull it off but he just doesn't have the star power that Joel Osteen has. Well, I, I've watched uh, three or four people in particular who really each episode they do, they've, they've increased 100%. Uh, they're getting more and more comfortable. There's, and I'll tell you this, as a person who does live streams and I've been teaching you guys live streaming the last 10 days, it's very difficult to turn on a camera and just talk free flow to it because there's just no response. I'm not getting facial responses from anybody to know if you understand what I'm saying, that you agree with what I'm saying, that you're learning what I'm saying. Um, it's just a little lens on the back of a camera and that's difficult to speak to for 20 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, that's why I keep going to the comments to see if people are asking questions and stuff. 
to watch people do a morning prayer and do it well and start to feel more comfortable with the camera is amazing. Looks like I have a delivery that just arrived, so I need to sign off. I'm Kevin Carlson. I'm George Conger. I'm Gavin Ashenden. You've been listening to episode 587 of Anglican Unscripted.